Welcome to another edition of BartCast, a podcast series curated by Bartimaeus Cooperative Ministries. Learn more at bcm-net.org. Okay, welcome everyone. This is Tim Nafziger here doing this interview for the BartCast, and I'm here with Allison Pullman, one of the four Necessity Valve Turners. And Allison, um, can you start out by ta- telling us a little bit about the Four Necessity Valve Turners and what you did? Sure. So the Four Necessity Valve Turners are four Catholic workers. Um, myself, Brenna Cusson Anglada, Daniel Yildirim, and Michelle Nara Obed. Um, all activists. Uh, three of us are farmers. And we chose to um, take action in resistance to fossil fuel usage and pipelines. So on February 4th, um, the four of us entered an Enbridge pipeline valve site in Blackberry, Minnesota. Um, we cut the chain, entered and relocked the chain with a different lock, um, and proceeded to call the emergency number um, to tell the pipeline company, Enbridge, um, that we strongly suggested that they should shut down lines three and four, which are both lines that are running tar sands um, through from Alberta, Canada, the tar sands fields in Alberta, Canada, to um, Superior, Wisconsin. Uh, so we suggested that they turn them off remotely, and we would give them 10 to 15 minutes, and after that we would start to work on shutting the pipelines down um, with the manual shutoff valve that was at, was at that site in Blackberry, Minnesota. So... After 15 minutes, nothing had happened, and we started to work, but a few minutes later, um, we could see the pressure gauge going down, so the pipelines, um, the company responded and turned off the both lines, and the lines were off for at least an hour, we think a couple of hours, um, and we waited there until the police arrived. Uh, we were arrested and taken in and spent a couple nights in jail. We have been charged with um, misdemeanor, and now two felonies. It was originally one felony, but I found out yesterday that it's official that we've been charged with the second uh, felony. Um, so uh, right now we're going through court hearings leading up to a trial that should happen a few months from now. Thanks. And can you talk a little bit more about um, the pipeline and some of the connections with the nearby indigenous communities? Mm, sure. So the pipeline runs through a few different indigenous communities. Um, The one that is closest to the site where we were at is the Fond du Lac Reservation, um, which is Ojibwe or Anishinaabe people. Um, Yeah, so the area that the pipeline is running through on that land um, has been approved by the tribal, it's been approved by the tribal council that Enbridge can uh, dig and put a pipe, put a line three there. So they're working on, um, they're working on repairing line three and they say it's a repair, but it's actually going to be twice as big, um, in dimension of a pipeline. So they're looking at actually expanding the line and don't have any, um, any like written statements or any intention to clean up the other line three pipeline. So, in other parts of the state, that line has not been approved, but they have asked the tribal council. Um, in this situation, are saying the tribe is sovereign, so 
they can ask, which basically means that they um, are willing to give the tribe sovereignty when it benefits the energy company. So Enbridge asked the tribal council, um, sort of giving an ultimatum, either, um, either we will get approval from the state of Minnesota uh, to do this pipeline and do it without your permission, or you can give us uh, permission now and we'll give you a large sum of money um, for us to start building now. So the tribal council um, is kind of, kind of has to choose the lesser of two evils um, and has approved the building, which has caused some tension um, among people in the tribe with the tribal council, um, but really it's kind of a lose-lose situation for the tribe. The pipeline is running through um, a lot of sacred land, wild rice fields, um, and these are things like, uh, because of the pipeline, um, people, the indigenous people are no longer able to, um, like, even grow as much rice. Um, so the wild rice fields are slowly diminishing. Um, and we heard a story from one of our indigenous friends um, from the Fond du Lac Reservation. She had come over for dinner, and she brought a little a little jar of wild rice and says, normally, whenever I come to dinner, it's our custom to bring a dish of wild rice to share. Um, but we're no longer able to do that because of how little we have. So I bring this as a representation. And it's sort of just a little jar of, of wild rice. Um, so it's affecting them in a lot of negative ways. Um, and yeah, there are some efforts, some indigenous efforts from different people um, within the political system to first gain like access to their land again and gain sovereignty and then to work on pipeline stuff. So Honor the Earth is a really big um, nonprofit organization run by Winona, Winona LaDuc and others that is working specifically on line three resistance. But, yeah. Thank you. And is there anything, we want to talk a little bit more about your story, Alice. And before we do that, is there anything, can you share just briefly about what motivated you personally to participate in the action? Sure. So I'm a farmer, um, and the deepest part of my life um, can probably be summed up in the statement, all life is sacred. Um, and yeah, I got into activism uh, working in Texas with a group called Frack Free Denton, um, working to ban hydraulic fracturing in the city limits of Denton, and experienced a lot of um, a lot of hope and joy in organizing with a community of people, um, and also experienced a lot of disappointment. Um, and disillusionment with the political system, working within the political system. So I was campaigning, going door to door, flyering, um, and in the end, uh, the city of Denton, the people of Denton voted for the ban, and there was lots of celebration. And then a month later, um, the state of Texas passed a bill called HB 40 that nullified the ban and any, any ban coming after it, um, saying that it was essentially um, bad for the economy, got in the way of um, local economy, 
Um, and really what we saw was that the energy company exerted its power after it saw that the people of Denton really were going to take a stand. Um, so after that, I went back to farming and um, felt pretty disillusioned, voted sometimes, didn't vote other times, and um, still feel um, a lot of dissonance um, in the political system. Um, and then I found myself sort of randomly at St. Isidore Catholic Worker Farm. Um, I was there for a song retreat and got to hear Michelle and our Obed speak, who ended up being one of the four Val Turners. Um, so she's, she is this really powerful, humble woman in her 60s who has lived over 30 years of her life as an activist um, in the Plowshares movement. So a beautiful thing about the Plowshares movement is it is... Um, totally faith-based, um, based on the verse in the Bible that says they will turn their swords into plowshares. Um, so she was telling stories directly relating the life of Jesus as a political activist to her motivation um, to, yeah, put risk, put her body in the way of um, nuclear warfare, drone warfare, and risk a lot um, for her beliefs and her belief um, in the goodness of the world and the goodness of Jesus' life. Um, and I, as a Christian, I had never heard someone talk like that before. This was last uh, August of 2018. Um, and I felt something stir inside of me. Um, felt like a very mystical sort of thing that I happened to be there. And she, at the end, extended an invitation to anyone in the group of people that was there if um, she was going to start working on pipeline resistance. So she lives in Duluth, very close to the Fond du Lac Reservation, um, and is friends with many of the people who live on that reservation. Um, so it's very close to her, but she knew she couldn't do it alone. Um, so I really felt uh, sort of a mystical call in hearing Michelle's words. Um, and feeling like the things in, like the things inside of me that I believed were, didn't actually turn out to be um, counter to my Christian faith. Um, but listening to Michelle and later hearing about Ched and Elaine um, and what they teach, realizing that there are people in the world who. Um, are living according to their conscience in ways that I really resonate with. Um, so I felt excited to say yes and felt like I was in the right moment to say yes to that and have since been really beautifully mentored by Michelle as an elder in the movement. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And so now before August 2018, that experience, you had some experience with a Catholic worker at that point. Can you talk a little bit more about that journey and how you connected with a Catholic worker initially? Sure. Um, my first encounter with the Catholic worker was Dorothy Day's autobiography, which is called The Long Loneliness. Um, Dorothy Day is a really beautiful woman, I guess was, and um, is now a saint in my life. Um, so she and a man named Peter Morin started... Um, the Catholic worker in the 1930s, and basically it was a system of houses of hospitality and cities connected with farming communities in um, the country, and then uh, roundtables, which were just discussions open for anybody to come and talk about current issues. Um, 
So I, yeah, I read her book many times. Um, she grew up with her father and brothers being um, running a newspaper. She was around a lot of um, a lot of writing and grew up being also an amazing writer. So the story, her life story, starting with Catholic Worker and after that, is already a great story. Um, but she's an amazing writer too. So anyway, I read it over and over um, and felt. Yeah, this resonance with um, community in particular, um, and also, yeah, the what I said before, like sort of the the pinnacle of my faith is the statement that all life is sacred, and that is the thing I resonate the most with, whatever um, like spiritual path that I find myself on, um, and Peter Morin. Um, came to America from France teaching that uh, based in Catholic social teaching. So he's bringing Catholic social teaching to America um, from like communist farming communities in France as a young 20-something and is saying all life is sacred, every human deserves dignifying work, um, and we are all here to take care of each other. We are are the church. Um, So all of those things really resonated with me um, yeah, and I felt called to join the movement. And how does that connect with your own uh, conversion to Catholicism or your stepping into the Catholic Church? Mm. Um, yeah, I think that the most of why I joined the Catholic Church was um, reading what Peter Morin mm. was saying and reading about the life of Dorothy Day. Dorothy Day herself had a conversion to Catholicism um, in her late 20s after she had her first and only child. Um, And yeah, I think reading about their lives and seeing how seriously they took, um, yeah, the dignity of life and um, how seriously they took the teachings of the Catholic Church and not necessarily always... um, the behavior of the Catholic Church, um, but but yeah, finding this beautiful um, tradition of um, yeah, a beautiful rich tradition of teaching in the Catholic Church was a big part of my conversion. Um, and I had never met I the only people that I knew who were Catholic before I converted were from the Catholic Worker. So mm. often I I say that I converted to the Catholic Worker. Mm. Um, but I, I did get confirmed in the Catholic Church. And another reason why, um, if, any, if anyone, if you've ever read um, the mystics of the Catholic Church, there is this um, really beautiful, the really beautiful ideas coming out of the mystics um, about the natural world being mystical um, and things like that that I was already resonating with living on a farm. So, yeah. Oh, thank you. And so... You, yeah, I love that image of converting to being converted by the Catholic worker into faith for you. Um, yeah, can you kind of, you've mentioned community a couple of times. Can you talk about what community has meant to you over the last years and particularly how perhaps the community you found as part of the action that you took Mm -hmm. part in? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, in general, in my life, I consider community to be really valuable, um, and a nece- maybe a necessary thing for 
uh, quality of life. Um, John Vanier um, has this really beautiful book called Community and Growth. Um, and in the introduction, he talks about... So Jean, Jean Vanier is also a um, community liver who started the L'Arche movement. Um, and he talks about in his introduction how in the modern um, culture and society, we've become so individualistic um, that we have this like ingrained trained thing in our mind that we have to be independent and we have to take care of ourselves, um, which is a fallacy anyway. Um, we, it's just not possible for us to live without each other, um, meaning like every creature on the earth, but also every human. Um, and he talks about how a lot of this, like the need for independence, the feeling of shame that comes when um, you feel like you've failed in being independent um, and how it means something about like I'm an adult or not, if um, I'm fully independent of my parents, things like that, which is, is not like every culture. Um, lots of cultures, families live together their whole lives. Um, so anyway, he talks about this sort of leading to depression and how we end up um, not having any um, emotional support um, or spiritual support. So for me, I have experientially come to know um, the spiritual and emotional support, um, and also the beauty of living in community. And one of, one of my favorite things is celebration in general in life. Um, and I think, um, the strongest I've ever felt living in community has been when, um, I have this group of people, um, with a base, not like there's this base knowledge of each other, um, and having lived life with each other, just like daily life. Um, you know, fighting over who didn't do the dishes and then like resolving the argument about who didn't do the dishes um, and then coming to really beautiful celebration of life when people have birthdays or um, when people get married or have children. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a really rich, rich system and way of living that I think is not is pretty countercultural in the United States and it's not really supported in a lot of ways. Um, but it is a way for us to um, support each other in really practical action kind of ways. And I appreciate that a lot. Oh, and the <laughs> how it applies to the action. I think all those same things are true. Um, we started meeting um, a few months before the action happened and we're all very different people. Um, Daniel is like one of the kindest people I know. Brenna is one of the most hilarious people I know. Um, I just like to sing all the time. And Michelle is super strong and passionate. Um, and us meeting together and praying together, singing together, and like even cooking meals on the weekends when we were meeting was so important to where like in the moment when the thing we had planned for was happening, we're walking up um, this hill to get to the gate that we're going to enter and shut off this pipeline, um, it really didn't feel that crazy. <laughs> it wasn't like, wow, we're, we're doing this thing. It was like, we're this community of people. Um, and I trust these three other people with my life. And so I'm entering into this, um, high risk situation with them. And it's just this seamless sort of transition into the thing that we had planned. Um, so Hmm. that's beautiful 
Well, one last question as we wrap up the interview. As you look at the possibility of significant jail time, what are the things that you are carrying with you to strengthen you in that? Mm. The support of a lot of beautiful friends, many of them um, also Catholic workers who have been in the movement of activism for a long time. Um, I think um, songs. Um, There's a lot of really beautiful community songs that um, are really uplifting. Um, Yeah, and the knowledge that um, I am, I feel so resolute that what we did was justified, um, that I am have prepared myself and we all have prepared ourselves and I'm willing to, um, pay the cost, whether or not, um, that cost is justified. So, yeah. Well, thank you. In closing, what are ways that folks in the Bartcast community can support the four necessity valve turners mm-hmm. in the coming months? I think first of all, prayer, um, we have, um, some specific goals as we go along that we are hoping to achieve um, and in the in the court system now, um, and in a lot of ways, those goals seem almost impossible. So prayer is a big deal, and also hoping to get to a twelve-person jury trial. Um, we are um, looking to expert witnesses um, to speak on behalf of us and our action um, experts on. Uh, the climate crisis and also um, experts on the validity of direct action um, and yeah direct action's ability to change things Um, and to do that we would have to fly a lot of people in pay for people's transportation so we are trying to raise ten thousand dollars and have raised between five and six thousand so um, being able to contribute monetarily if you're able um, would be a great help and the website to do that is for, F-O-U-R, necessity.org. Um, and you can go to the donate page online. Well, thank you, Allison. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today and for being here in Ventura County and the, uh, the Ventura Watershed and being part, joining us for a few days of conversation and hikes. It's been great having you. Thanks, Tim. You have been listening to the BartCast, produced by Bartimaeus Cooperative Ministries. To find our resources or to donate to support the BartCast, please go to chedmyers.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>